Hello everyone, welcome back to another video. If you are new here, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Sheree, and I make ASMR pretty much all the time. <laughs> Today, it's a little bit chilly here in the Midwest. Very windy autumn afternoon. And usually, on days like this, I like to snuggle up in bed and light a nice candle. The one behind me is a woodwick, specifically, so you may hear some crackling and other noises <laughs> from that little candle back there, which I personally really, really enjoy. Hopefully do as well. I also like to grab myself a nice book, and I like to sit and read all cozy in bed until I eventually drift off for an afternoon nap. I figure today, instead of indulging in all of that by myself, I would share the experience with you. You right there. Hmm. In case that's of interest to you, that sounds right up your alley, I would suggest just closing your eyes and finding a nice, comfortable place to either lay down or sit just make sure that you can really relax. It's going to be the most important job for you. My job is to read this book with as little error as possible. If I make a mistake or two, forgive me. I will correct myself, but I'm going to do my best to read it properly the first time. <laughs> When I was in grade school, I used to hate reading out loud. It was something that I dreaded majorly because I just, I just got so much anxiety with public speaking. So I will say I do practice reading aloud to myself just to pay homage to that version of me that was so nervous of it and also just for practice. And I'm going to treat this the same way. We'll give it my best. Hopefully you enjoy the excerpt that I've chosen. It is the work of Crito. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Crito by Plato. This is a dialogue between Crito and Socrates. I find it really interesting. Hopefully you do too. Um, I'm probably going to start with this soft-spoken voice, and as we get closer towards the end, I will maybe bring it down to a gentle whisper. But we'll see. We'll see how far I get before I myself start to get sleepy and need to take that nap I mentioned earlier. <laughs> Without further ado, 
go ahead and get started with the book. I am reading out of the fifth edition of the collection of classics rooted in moral and political theory. Um, this book was edited by Michael L. Morgan, but the work itself was, of course, written by Plato, who's a genius, if you didn't already know. The reason that I enjoy Plato so much is because I feel like for something written so long ago, it still holds a lot of merit and relevance in the world today, which is pretty astounding if you think about it. I'm gonna uh, resituate myself, be a little bit more comfortable, bring the book so you can see it here. And this starts off with Socrates speaking. So like I said, it's a dialogue that goes back and forth. I will mention who is talking to who in the beginning. You should be able to catch on pretty quickly. Why have you come at this hour, Crito? Isn't it still early? It is indeed, Crito replied. About what time? asked Socrates. Well, it's just before dawn, Crito said. I'm surprised the prison warden was willing to let you in, said Socrates. Oh, well, he knows me by now, Socrates. I come here so often, and besides, I've done him a good turn, Credo replied. Have you just arrived, or have you been here for a while? asked Socrates. For quite a while, said Credo. Well, then... Why didn't you wake me right away? Why did you sit there in silence instead? In the name of Zeus, Socrates, I wouldn't do that. I only wish I weren't so sleepless and distressed myself. I've been amazed all this time to see how peacefully you were sleeping. And I deliberately kept from waking you so that you could pass the time as pleasantly as possible. In the past, indeed, throughout my entire life, I've often counted you happy in your disposition, but never more so than in this present misfortune. You bear it so easily and calmly. Well, Crito, it would be an error for someone of my age to complain when the time has come when he must die. Other people get overtaken by such misfortunes too, Socrates, but their age doesn't prevent them in the least from complaining about their fate. Well, that's right, replied Socrates, but tell me, why have you? come so early. I bring bad news, Socrates. Not bad in your view, it seems to me, but bad and hard in mine, and that of all your friends, and hardest of all, I, I think, for me to bear, replied Credo. And what news is that? 
asked Socrates. Or has the ship returned from Delos, at whose return I must die? No, it hasn't returned yet, replied Credo. But I think it will arrive today, judging from the reports of people who've come from Sunium where they left it. It's clear from these reports that it will arrive today, and so tomorrow, Socrates, you must end your life. I pray that it may be for the best. Crito, if it pleases the gods, then let it be so. All the same, I don't think it will arrive today. And what evidence have you for that? asked Crito. Well, I'll tell you. I must die on the day after the ship arrives. Well, that's what the authorities say, at least said Credo. Then I don't think it will arrive today, but tomorrow. My evidence for this comes from a dream I had in the night a short while ago. So it looks as though you choose the right time not to wake me. Well, what was your dream? asked Credo. I thought a beautiful, graceful woman came to me robed in white. She called me and said, Socrates, you will arrive in Fertile Thea on the third day. Hmm. What a strange dream, Socrates. And yet, its meaning is quite clear, Crito. At least, it seems so to me. All too clear, apparently. But look here, Socrates. It's still not too late to take my advice and save yourself. You see, if you die, I won't just suffer a single misfortune. On the contrary. Not only will I lose a friend, the likes of whom I will never find again, but in addition, many people who don't know you or me well will think that I didn't care about you since I could have saved you if I'd been willing to spend the money. Hmm. And indeed, what reputation could be more shameful than being thought to value money more than friends? For the majority of people won't believe that it was you yourself who refused to leave this place, though we were urging you to do so. But my dear Crito, why should we care so much about what the majority thinks? After all, the most decent ones, who are worthier of consideration, will believe that matters were handled in just the way that they were, in fact, handled. But you can surely see, Socrates, that one should care about the majority opinion, too. Why, your present situation itself shows clearly that the majority can do not just minor harms, but the very worst things to someone who's been slandered in front of them. Hmm. I only wish, Crito, that the majority could do the very worst things. Then they might also be able to do the very best ones, and everything would be fine. But as it is, they can do neither, since they can't make someone either wise or unwise. The effects that 
they produce are really the result of chance. Hmm. Well, if you say so. But tell me this, Socrates. You're not worried about me and your other friends, are you? Fearing that if you escaped, the informers would give us trouble and that we might be forced to give up all our property, pay heavy fines, or even suffer some further penalty? If you're afraid of anything like that, well, dismiss it from your mind. After all, we're surely justified in running this risk to save you or an even greater one if need be. Now, take my advice and don't refuse me. Hmm. Yes, those things do worry me, Crito, among many others. Then don't fear them. The sum of money that certain people I know will accept in order to save you and get you out of here isn't that large. Next, don't you see how cheap these informers are and how little money is needed to deal with them? My own wealth's available to you, and it, I think, should be enough. Next, even if your concern for me makes you unwilling to spend my money, well, there are foreign visitors here who are willing to spend theirs. One of them, Simias of Thebes, has even brought enough money for this very purpose, and Sebes too. And a good many others are also willing to contribute. So, as I say, don't let these fears make you hesitate to save yourself, and don't let it trouble you, as you were saying in court, that if you went into exile, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. You see, wherever else you may go, there will be people to welcome you. If you want to go to Thessaly, I have friends there who will make much of you and protect you so that no one in Thessaly will give you any trouble. Besides, Socrates, I think that what you're doing isn't just throwing away your life when you could save it and hastening the very sort of fate for yourself that your enemies would hasten, and indeed have hastened, in their wish to destroy you. What's more, I also think that you are betraying those sons of yours by going away and deserting them when you could bring them up and educate them. So far as you're concerned, they must take their chances in life, and the chance they'll get, in all likelihood, is just the one that orphans usually get when they lose their parents. No, either one shouldn't have children at all, or one ought to see their upbringing and education through to the end. But you seem to me to be choosing the easiest way out. Whereas, one should choose whatever a good and brave man would choose, particularly when one claims to have cared about virtue throughout one's life. I feel ashamed on your behalf, and on behalf of myself and your friends. I fear that it's going to seem that this whole business of yours has been handled with a certain cowardice on our part. The case was brought to the court when it needn't have been brought. Then there was the actual conduct of the trial, and now, to crown it all, this absurd finale to the affair. It's going to seem that we let the opportunity slip because of some vice, such as cowardice, on our part, since we didn't save you 
nor did you save yourself. Although it was quite possible, had we been of even the slightest use. See to it then, Socrates, that all this doesn't turn out badly and a shameful thing for both you and us. Come, deliberate, or rather, at this hour, if it's not a matter of deliberating, but having deliberated already, and only one decision remains. You see, everything must be done this coming night, and if we delay, it will no longer be possible. For all those reasons, Socrates, please take my advice and don't refuse me. My dear Crito, your enthusiasm's most valuable, provided it's of the right sort. But if it isn't, the greater it is, the more difficult it will be to deal with. We must therefore examine whether we should do what you advise or not. You see, I'm not the sort of person who's just now for the first time persuaded by nothing within me except the argument that on rational reflection seems best to me. I've always been like that. I can't now reject the arguments that I've stated before just because this misfortune has befallen me. On the contrary, they seem pretty much the same to me, and I respect and value the same ones as I did before. So, if we have no better ones to offer in this present situation, you can be sure I won't agree with you, not even in the power of the majority to threaten us as if we were children with the boogeyman of imprisonment, execution, and confiscation of property were far greater than it was now. What, then, is the most reasonable way to examine these matters? Suppose we first take up the argument you stated about people's opinions. Is it true or not that one should pay attention to some opinions, but not to others? Or was it true before I had to die, whereas it's now clear that it was stated idly for the sake of argument, and that it is really just childish nonsense? For my part, I'm eager to join you, Credo, in a joint examination of whether this argument will appear any differently to me now that I'm here, or the same, and of whether we should dismiss it from our minds or be persuaded by it. It used to be said, I think, by people who thought that they were talking sense, that, as I said a moment ago, one should take some people's opinions seriously, but not others. By the gods, Crito, don't you think that that was true? You see, in all human probability, you are not going to die tomorrow, and so present situation won't distort your judgment. Consider, then, don't you think, it's a sound argument that one shouldn't value all the opinions people have, but some, and not others, and certainly not those of everyone, but those of some people and not of others. What do you say? Isn't that true? It is. And we should value good opinions, but not bad ones? Yes. 
and the good ones are those of wise people, and the bad ones those of unwise people. Well, of course, replied Crito. Come, then. What of such questions as this? When a man's primarily engaged in physical training, does he pay attention to the praise or blame or opinion of every man or only to those of the one man who's a doctor or a trainer? Only to those of the one man, replied Credo. Then he should fear the blame and welcome the praise of that one man, but not those of the majority of people. Clearly, Crito replied. So his actions and exercises, his eating and drinking, should be guided by the opinion of the one man, the knowledgeable and understanding supervisor, rather than on that of all the rest? That's right, replied Crito. Well then, if he disobeys that one man, and sets no value on his opinion or his praises, but values those of the majority of people who have no understanding, won't something bad happen to him? Of course, says Crito. And what is this bad effect? asked Socrates. Where does it occur? In what part of the one who disobeys. Well, clearly it's in his body, since that's what it destroys, replied Crito. That's right, Socrates said. And isn't the same true in other cases, Crito? No need to go through them all, but in particular, in cases of just and unjust things, shameful and fine ones, good and bad ones, in cases of what we're now deliberating about, is it the opinion of the majority we should follow and fear, or is it the opinion of the one man, if there is one who understands these things, we should respect and fear above all others? On the grounds that, if we don't follow it, we should seriously damage and maim the part of ourselves which, as we used to say, is made better by what's just but is destroyed by what's unjust, or is there no truth in that? I certainly think there is, Socrates. Come then. Suppose we destroy the part of us that is made better by what's healthy but is seriously damaged by what causes disease when we don't follow the opinion of people who have understanding. Would our lives be worth living once it has been seriously damaged? And that part is, of course, the body, isn't it? Yes, replied Crito. Then, are our lives worth living with a wretched, seriously damaged body? Certainly not, replied Crito. But our lives are worth living when the part of us that's maimed by what's unjust and benefited by what's 
just as seriously damaged, or do we consider it whichever part of us it is to which justice and injustice pertain to be inferior to the body? Well, certainly not, replied Credo. On the contrary, it's more valuable. Far more, replied Credo. Then, my good friend, we should not give so much thought to what the majority of people will say about us, but think instead of what the person who understands just and unjust things will say. The one man and the truth itself. So your first claim that we should give thought to the opinion of the majority about what's just, fine, and good, and their opposites, it isn't right. But, someone might say, the majority can put us to death. That's certainly clear, too. It would indeed be said, Socrates. That's right, replied Socrates, and yet, my dear friend, the argument that we've gone through still seems the same to me, at any rate, as it did before. And now, examine this further one, to see whether we think it still stands or not. The most important thing isn't living, but living well. Yes, it still stands, said Crito. And the argument that living well living a fine life and living justly are the same, does it still stand or not? Yes, it still stands. Well then, in the light of these arguments, we should examine whether or not it would be just for me to try to get out of here when the Athenians haven't acquitted me. And if it does seem just, we should make the attempt. And if it doesn't, we should abandon the effort. As for those other considerations you raise, about loss of money and people's opinions and bringing up children, they, in truth, Crito, are appropriate considerations for people who readily put one to death and would as readily bring one back to life again if they could, without thinking. I mean, the majority of people. For us, however, the argument has made the decision. There's nothing else to be examined besides the very thing we've just mentioned. Whether we, both the ones who are being rescued and also the rescuers themselves, will be acting justly if we pay money to those who would get me out of here and do them favors or whether we will, in truth, be acting unjustly if we do those things. And, if it appears that we will be acting unjustly in doing them, we have no need at all to give any opposing weight to our having to die, or suffer in some other way, if we stay here and mine our behavior when the alternative is doing injustice. What you say seems true to me, Socrates, but I wish you'd consider what we're to do, Credo replied. Well, let's examine 
that question together, my dear friend. And if you can oppose anything I say, oppose it, and I'll be persuaded by you. But if you can't, be a good fellow and stop telling me the same thing over and over that I should leave here against the will of the Athenians. You see, I think it is very important that I act in this matter having persuaded you rather than against your will. Consider, then, the starting point of our inquiry to see if you find it adequately formulated and try to answer my questions as you really think best. I'll certainly try, replied Rito. Do we say that one should never do injustice intentionally? Or may injustice be done in some circumstances, but not in others? Is doing injustice never good or fine? as we have often agreed in the past? Or have all these former agreements been discarded during these last few days? Can you and I, at our age, Crito, have spent so long in serious discussion with one another without realizing that we ourselves are no better than a pair of children? Or is what we used to say true above all else? that whether the majority of people agree or not, and whether we must suffer still worse things than at present, or ones that are easier to bear, it's true, all the same, that doing injustice in any circumstances is bad and shameful for the one who does it. Is that what we say or not? It's what we say. So, one should never do injustice. Certainly not, replied Greta. So, one shouldn't do injustice in return for injustice, as the majority of people think, seeing that one should never do injustice. Apparently not. Well then, should one do wrong? Or not? Certainly not, Socrates. Well, what about when someone does wrong in return for having suffered wrongdoing? Is this just, as the majority of people think, or not just? It's not just at all, Greta replied. No, for there's no difference, I take it between doing wrong and doing injustice, asked Socrates. That's right, replied Greta. So, one must neither do injustice in return nor wrong any man, no matter what one has suffered at his hands. And, Crito, in agreeing to this, watch out that you're not agreeing to anything contrary you believe. You see, I know that only a few people would believe or will believe it, 
between those who believe it and those who don't, there's no common basis for deliberation, but each necessarily regards the other with contempt when they see their deliberations. You too, then, should consider very carefully whether you share that belief with me, and whether the following is the starting point of our deliberations. That it's never right to do injustice, or to do injustice in return, or to retaliate with bad treatment when one has been treated badly. Or, do you disagree and not share this starting belief? You see, I've believed this for a long time myself, and I still believe it now. But, if you've come to some other opinion, then say so. Instruct me. If you stand by the former one, however, then listen to my next point. Yes, I do stand by it, and I share it with you. So, go on, replied Crito. Socrates starts again. Well then, I'll state the next point, or rather, ask a question. Should one do the things one has agreed with someone to do, provided they are just, or should one cheat? No, one should do them, replied Crito. Then consider what follows. If we leave this place without having persuaded the city, are we treating some people badly, and those whom we should least of all treat in that way, or not? Are we standing by agreements that are just, or not? I can't answer your question, Socrates, since I don't quite understand it. <sighs> well. Look at it this way. Suppose we were about to run away from here, or whatever what we would be doing would be called. And suppose the laws and the city committee came and confronted us, and said, quote, Tell us, Socrates, what do you intend to do? Do you intend anything else by this act you're attempting than to destroy us laws and the city as a whole to the extent that you can? Or do you think that a city can continue to exist and not be overthrown if the legal judgments rendered in it have no force, but are deprived of authority and undermined by the actions of private individuals? End quote. What shall we say in response to that question, Crito, and to others like it? For there's a lot that one might say, particularly, if one were an orator on behalf of this law we're destroying, the one requiring that legal judgments, once rendered, have authority. Or shall we say to them, yes, that's what we intend, for the city treated us unjustly and didn't judge our lawsuit correctly. Is that what we're to say? Or what? Yes. Yes, by Zeus, 
that's what we're to say, Socrates. Then what if the laws replied, was that also part of the agreement between you and us, Socrates, or did you agree to stand by whatever judgments the city rendered? Then, if we were surprised at the words, perhaps they might say, don't be surprised at what you're saying, Socrates, but answer us, since you're so accustomed to using question and answer. Come now, what charges have you to bring against us the city and ourselves that you should try to destroy us? In the first place, wasn't it we who gave you birth? Wasn't it through us that your father married your mother and produced you 